Welcome to the Bible Idiots Podcast. I'm Emily Danielson. So glad you're along with us. Uh, Wow, what a summer it's been. I know it's been a while since we last posted, but God has been doing some amazing things. Now, if you've been with us for a while, you know that the title of the new podcast will be called No Apologies with Chris and Emily. More to come in the near future on when we launch the new show on a new platform, new format with the new title and the new website. But to get those new things going, it's going to take a little bit more time. And right now, priority one is to be the new pastor of Fresh Encounter Church in Harlan, Iowa. Words can't express how blessed we are to be here. And today is the very first time we have a recording coming out of the sanctuary from our new church. So the sound quality is maybe a little overmodulated, but Chris said he doesn't care. Let's just get back to putting the gospel out there. So here is my husband, Chris Danielson, with a message entitled Limited Visibility. I'm just jacked out of my mind. I'm so excited right now because I know what's coming. (laughs) Open your Bibles if you have them or your devices to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to do the first four verses. Today's message is entitled Limited Visibility. And I'll remind you throughout the message, it is about a depth of understanding thing. Limited visibility. Why don't you stand with me as we honor God's word today with these four verses. Let me read in Jesus' name, Matthew chapter 8, starting with verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. Right away, a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus told him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please let these be your words to your children now. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Be seated, please. So in a depth of understanding message entitled Limited Visibility, I just feel like in the United States... In 2022, we, you know, this is a good moment for us to kind of get a refresher, kind of diving deep, getting focused, zoomed in kind of moment. Are you with me? We need the skies to clear so we can see the road we are driving on. Now, I don't know, we're far enough north here in Iowa where you guys know what snow is. You know, I mean, we spent five years in Arizona and literally, we'd get down to 45 degrees, and they'd be like, the hand of God is against us, you know? <laughs> but, but we know what snow is like. Now, I'm, I'm up north 20 years ago, and I experienced the hardest drive of my life. And it was two and a half hours, and I never exceeded 30 miles an hour. Now, you're saying, well, Chris, didn't you race cars? Yes. Did I go to Germany and drive the Autobahn? Yes. I have been in some wheel situations where my wheelman skills were put to the test, but nothing I've ever experienced, and I hope never will again, that night, driving from St. Cloud, Minnesota to Fergus Falls, Minnesota, about 80 miles, took two and a half hours. And I drove like I had my hair on fire because I couldn't see. And I was also too arrogant to pull over. And to be honest with you, I probably couldn't afford the hotel room at that point in my life anyway. The defroster in my car wasn't working right, so I'd try to roll the windows down, then I'd get too cold and have to roll them up. And so I had this little patch like this right in front of me, and the snow was coming down sideways. 
and I am in a rear-wheel drive car. And now we're getting on the highway, on the Interstate 94, going up the highway. We're getting ruts. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's how thick the snow was. So limited visibility is a, is a big thing. You can't see. A semi would go by. Everybody's driving with their flashers on. It's blizzard. You're supposed to get off the road. But two and a half hours later, I made it. And I think back to that drive, and I think how often my walk with Christ is just like that drive. I know that if I stay in the ruts, I know that if I use the skills God's given me, and if I take advantage of what limited visibility I have, I will make it safe, and I did. But what better would it be to be on clear roads with clear skies and clear visibility? When God gives you that, that, that vision in your life, it makes a huge difference. And what's the biggest lamp he gives you unto your path? It's the word of God. And so the depth of understanding is what I want to talk about today. Not seeing clearly or fully. And it has nothing to do with your spiritual maturity because even mature Christians can get in that fog, can get in that where their defroster ain't working quite right today because of circumstances. But there are those who follow Jesus who rise above that, and they have contentment with great gain. It's called, I call it, it is well with you. And so when we want to walk alongside each other, when we want to have a Christian faith, the reality is, and this is truth, I can't fully understand what you're going through, and you can't fully understand what I'm going through, but we can have different levels of appreciation and understanding. Let me give you an example. Trying to tell my kids when they were younger what it actually felt like when the Twins won the World Series in 1987. Minnesota's first and only title until 91 when the Twins did it again. That's it. We don't have any other championships. And they understand and they appreciate it. But they can't reach that same level because they weren't there. It's like me explaining what my grandma's chocolate chip cookies taste like. Until you taste one, you don't know. All you can do is just identify with what cookies you have in your life. Does this make sense to you? See, we hear things from others, and we authentically attempt empathy and sympathy, but not at the true level, not at the absolute level that is going on. Follow? And it's not our fault. It's reality. Sometimes we say, oh, that's nice, and we comprehend, but we don't actually get it at that deep level of what is being expressed. Pray for my struggling marriage. Or, hey, she's pregnant. Or another one, hey, she's not yet pregnant. My dad has cancer. You see what I'm saying? I was in seminary, and I learned this. A guy's dad died while we were in seminary, and another guy went up to him whose dad was still living, and he used the phrase, I know what you I know what it feels like. I know, I know what you're going through. No, you don't. If your dad is alive, you don't know what it's like for those of us who our fathers have passed away. You can empathize because maybe your mother died, maybe your grandfather died. Empathy and knowing exactly how we feel are two different things. See, based on closeness and caring, real friends can sometimes get it. Real close family members can sometimes get it but even then, there's something lacking, isn't there? You know your journey. And you also know you don't know the journey of others, including the people closest to you. See, so today, I want to look at four things. 
four things deeper so you can see your walk and our walk together in a sharper color and contrast. Does that make sense? All right, let's do it. Let's go to point number one. The road is narrow. When we want to follow Jesus, the road is narrow. It starts with the fact that many folks have done a disservice to the overall message of who Jesus Christ is. The taking, you know, you're, you're talking about the greatest person, fully God and fully man, and then we tone him down into this tame and soft dude. And then take his message and we twist it primarily to be about our need for comfort, safety, and convenience. If you follow Jesus, listen to me now. If you follow Jesus, maybe somebody's never told you this. Let me, if not, let me be the first and I don't care what you think. Here we go. This is fact. If you follow Jesus, you follow the most radical person who ever existed. He marches into the world as an incredibly aggressive and assertive personality that is bluntly kind. He is full of peace. He is full of love. And he offers mankind a whole new way of looking at the world and living in it. It's a most radical message. In announcing what his kingdom would be like, listen to what he said in Matthew eleven twelve. Jesus said this. These are red letters. He said, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men take hold of it. In other words, God is doing something so powerful and dangerous that only the, listen now, only those who are willing to embrace it with forceful intensity can take hold of God's kingdom. The revolution of Jesus in our day, in our cooking, sleeping, coming and going, day-to-day lives, it's not for the wishy-washy. It's not for the middle of the road. It isn't safe as we understand safety. It isn't really comfortable as we understand comfort. It costs us a great deal to legitimately, legitimately say yes to Jesus. Is it free? Yes. Is it liberating? Yes. Does it take you from death to life? Yes. But is it cheap? No. And we have suffered as a body of believers by operating, operating, or offering and operating in this liberating death-to-life good news that is free to all and then making it this cheap thing. Narrow is the gate and hard is the way that leads to life. Somebody has to say it. Might as well be me. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Jesus tells us this. He, what I just said, if you find it offensive, don't blame me. Look to the Savior. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Ooh, dude serving up some hard cheese this morning, huh? There are churches that advertise. They say, we take the Bible seriously, but not literally. Run from those churches. Or how about biblical principles to maximize your life and living? That's one of my favorites. I got nothing against biblical principles. 
and seeing how Jesus int- you know, tends for us to be and to do and to, and, to, and to whatnot. But that slogan's lame compared to what following and surrendering to Jesus' authentic invitation actually is. See, there are some of us in this room who, like me, have stood in the hard, cold honesty. I mean, just truthful honesty. And we looked straight into the darkness of our own souls. And we saw the wickedness of our own broken hearts. Biblical principles simply are not enough. Now, I've never needed enhancement. I needed a new heart, and I needed a new mind. I need the king of kings to invade my life and take it over. I don't want principles or religion or some fake pretense. I want him. I'm empty. I'm not in this game for some new and improved self. I want something totally different. I want something, something else entirely. I want to lay hold of the total revolution of Jesus Christ, and I want to get washed inside out and upside down. But what I want is costly. Jesus promises life with him and a renewed soul, heart and mind, and to live forever. And those results, my friends, are not cheap. Here's some more good news. Point number two today. The road is risky. The road is risky. I have done things that I knew were going to fail from the minute we started them. We did a six-episode TV show some years ago, and I knew it was going to bite, and it did. We've had some radio bits that I knew were going to be successful and were. And I'm not right all the time. I felt different about different projects. I think that there are times when God will lead you down a path that he knows will fail. He knows it's going to fail before you start. Just to see if we are going to be obedient. Like the fishermen casting nets on the other side of the boat, going out in the mid-afternoon. I don't know if you guys realize how insane that would be. That would be like somebody who's never done your job before coming up and telling you to do your job completely opposite of what you've been doing. You get what I'm saying? But he wants to see, are you going to be obedient? Do you want him more than you want what you think you got going on? That's why it's called surrendering to Jesus, yes? C.S. Lewis says of Jesus, he isn't safe, but he is good. So what keeps us from a life of such deep faith? What is the obstacles that are in your life? I bet they're different from your neighbor, and I bet they're different from mine, but I bet once in a while safety would peek in there. See, one reason we are so very skilled at assessing and minimizing risk is that our culture is all about risk management. We want to hedge our bets all over the place of our life. We want every kind of insurance offered, health insurance, life insurance, car insurance. We wear seatbelts and helmets, and, and we had some people wearing three masks for a while there to try to protect themselves and minimize the risk. If I see risk, I must minimize it, says the culture. I mean, I don't know. I look across the landscape of parenthood and 
why don't you just all bubble wrap your children and send them to school? I mean, we drank right from the hose. I'm still alive. <laughs> Nothing wrong with loving your kids. All you extra, you know, proactive parents. I'm not complaining. Do what you got to do. But understand, it's all part of a culture which we have found ourselves wrapped up in. We must minimize risk. And then to add to it, this is the, this is the even cooler part for Americans cooler being relative. We love to have the illusion of danger, but just not the real thing. We can ride roller coasters and feel out of control. Woo! While all being buckled in our seat. Answer me this. Don't we want Jesus the same way? All reward and no risk? Many times people don't give themselves over fully to Jesus because they're afraid he will send them to some third world country or ask them to be poor or have them do some other uncomfortable thing. And we want the illusion of faith as long as we are safe. But listen up. Walking with God by faith is not a no-risk proposition. If you've been sold that, you didn't get sold it by the Holy Spirit. Okay? It is truly one of the most dangerous things you can do. Risk is inherent in the authentic faith life. Risk and faith cannot be separated. But here's the deal. Don't miss this part. As you're thinking of your email, you're going to blast off to me before the day's out. Listen to this first. You ready? Here's the dealio. When you go all in with Jesus, and I'm talking about all in, you get two very, 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 very awesome, cool things. You ready? Number one, you get, it's well with you. It's well with you. Godliness and contentment is great gain. And two, you get the deep, deep love your soul craves. Yes, yes, you go all in with Jesus, you get what we all want, what we all desire, what we all crave. The love, the pure, true, awesome love that can only come from our creator God through his son, Jesus Christ. And you want to know what doesn't come close? Religion. Religion can't come close. Point number three today is the road away from religion. Once I realized how awesome Jesus was, everything changed. I began to read the Bible differently. I noticed the ones who Jesus was given the business to, who he was just, you know, right up in their grill, the Lord criticized severely, were the incredibly religious Pharisees. You realize how bad these guys were? The Pharisees, these jokers took 610 laws from the Hebrew scriptures and added over 1,500 other rules you had to follow. Oh, they were stout in their devotion. They prayed, they fasted, they tithed, they sought converts, they memorized and taught and had all kinds of activity, yet our Lord had his biggest smackdowns reserved for these peeps. He called them snakes and fakers hypocrites and blind guides. He said to their face, harlots and thieves were getting into heaven, into the kingdom of heaven before them. 
How's that for cartoon Jesus? One would have a hard time, listen now, you would have a hard time overstating how offensive and critical Jesus was to their face about how out of bounds their whole approach to the creator God really was. He loved them, no doubt. And many, 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 many came to faith in him. But he straight up condemned any attempts at self-justification through religious performance. Jesus even went so far as to compare empty religion as being more dangerous than outright immorality. What? Jesus went so far as to compare empty religion being more dangerous than flat-out immorality. Got scripture to back that up? Yep. Matthew 21, 28 through 32. It's right there. Jesus is talking. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, My son, go to work in the vineyard today. He answered, I don't want to, but later changed his mind and went. Then the man who went uh, to the other and said the same thing. I will, sir, he answered, but didn't go. Which of the two did his father's will? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. Tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him, but you, when you saw it, didn't even change your mind then and believe him. Whoo! Going back to the 17th century, a commentator by the name of Matthew Henry wrote the following. Even he got it back then. Here he reproves them of their contempt because of what? Matthew Henry says, for fear of the people they were not willing to own. To shame them for it, he sets, it up, he sets them up for faith, repentance, and obedience, and he shows them that the publicans and the harlots responded better which then aggravated their unbelief and lack of respect. In other words, what Matthew Henry here is saying is that when Jesus said this, it actually hardened their hearts more against the freedom of the authentic gospel of the Son of God standing before them as their Messiah, calling them to repentance. Do we not do the same thing? And I'm not saying we as in you and I. I'm saying we as in the greater culture. Don't we do the same thing? We double down on our air. We don't humble ourselves. Do you see it? Jesus told them they were missing the kingdom because of their religiousness. They were so focused on doing this right and avoiding that wrong and keeping score and pronouncing judgment. They missed completely the Messiah standing right in front of them even going so far as to accuse Jesus of being Satan's guy rather than acknowledging him as Lord. Now, this context helps as we move on to point four today. When you have your eyes open to these truths, it's wonderful, but it'll also reveal to you the fact that we are chosen people. Remember how great it is to be picked on the playground? Remember that feeling? Marriage. He picked me, she picked me. I'm still glad that Emily picked me. Invitation to a party or a trip with friends. It's great. 
How many know the awesomeness, uh, or I'm sorry, how many know the awfulness? How many know the awfulness of being rejected? The joy of being chosen versus the pain of rejection. And this is the scene I want you to have in your mind as we go to point four today, because this is the real point of the message. The road is filled with whosoever's. Do we, as supposed Christian people, really understand the depths of the grace in which we claim to surrender? Do we have a clear road or are we suffering from limited visibility? Let's go deeper into the world of the Bible times so that you can maybe get a better understanding today. The Jews not only divided the world into Jews and Gentiles, but they also found a way to divide Jews from Jews. Within the Jewish culture, they decided who was ceremonial, clean, fit to go into the temple and offer sacrifices, and those who were ceremonially unclean. Then pushed that divide us concept out from there. That's what they did with their culture. See, they took labels and they applied it to someone that was te technically ritually unclean and unfit to offer sacrifice, and then they began to regard those Jews as simply unclean, viewing the entire person as unclean. What did this do? Well, it took a set of laws designed, now listen now, it took a set of laws designed to remind people of God's holiness and provision and became a catalyst for exclusion and elitism. The Jews had a phrase they would use to describe people who were unclean. Um ha eretz. Um ha eretz. The phrase in Hebrew means people of the land. And it designates a person as, are you ready? Untouchable and unredeemable. Their words, not mine. Amha Eretz, untouchable and unredeemable. Think about that. Commonly taught in that culture that the blind, the crippled, and lame were Amha Eretz because their deformity was a result of their sin or their parents' sin. Look at John chapter 9. I love John chapter 9 because that, that it's right there. Their culture is just displayed in the scriptures. The, the blind guy who was uh, blind from birth, Jesus healed him. They called in the parents. They called him in, in in their little Jewish court. And they're like, who sinned? You or your parents. And there's grill in this dude. And he gives the greatest witness gospel message ever. You ready for it? He basically in English says this. <laughs> Look, I don't know. Once I was blind, now I'm not. If you want my testimony, that's it. Once I was blind, now I'm not. It was widely understood by the religious that disabled people were simply getting what they deserved. Same for the poor. What a loving batch of group of folks this was, huh? Batch of group? I don't know. I'm in the moment. Look, if you were crippled or poor, it was a sign of God's displeasure in you, according to them. So if you're clean, one of the best ways to stay that way was to avoid the unclean, because what would the unclean do to you? They would contaminate the clean if you were clean. So whatever you do in that culture, you stay away from Amha Eretz. You avoid Amha Eretz, no matter what you do. Once someone became unclean, it was hard to move beyond the label because no one clean would ever come near them, ever. The rules were so strict to keep from being contaminated, 
never go into a house of a Gentile, never touch a deformed person, never share a meal with a sinner, and so on, that this heartless religion is the setting that Jesus walked into. Sharing this radical message that's available to us today, that the kingdom of God is available to everyone, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done. This was unconditional, true love, on display, come to earth for all to see and to hear. In John chapter 3, Jesus has this incredible discussion with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And it's in the middle of this discussion that Jesus uncorked the best-known words in the Bible in John 3.16. He said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Don't miss the most awesome word in this announcement. It's the word whosoever. Think of the impact this would have had on Nicodemus a stone-cold Pharisee expert on knowing. Uh, This guy knew who was in and who was out. Old Nicky must have been sitting there thinking to himself, is this guy serious? Whosoever? Whosoever believes in him? Does he mean women? Gentiles? Does he mean Amha Eretz? Jesus not only talked it, but he walked it. Jesus demonstrated whosoeverness as he approached the castoffs to offer them healing, wholeness, and forgiveness. That's the deal, peeps. And the leaders hated him for it. And 2,000 years later, we still see it. I want to give you two examples of whosoeverness to bring it home today. Let's start with Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Now, if you grew up in the church, you probably remember the Bible camp song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. For obvious reasons, I hate that song. (laughs) But let's get one thing straight. I would tower over this guy. I have a phrase. I'm not the tallest guy in the room, but I'm not climb a sycamore tree short either, okay? See, Luke's account on Jesus' interaction with him was not on how short he was, but how wicked he was. This was one wicked dude. Zacchaeus was not even noticed, wasn't even labeled a tax collector. He was labeled in Luke chief tax collector. Now, this is bad on many levels in the Jewish culture. You got to get this context, though. To be a Jew and to work for the Romans to keep your fellow brother down was despicable in those days. Now, it was estimated that about 12.5% was the tax, okay, of all income and crops would go to, the, to Rome. And the collectors then, what would they do? They would impose more than that. It's been said sometimes these tax collectors would go 25 to 40% and they would give the Roman the 12.5% and keep the rest for themselves, okay? And they would live in a luxury and wealth beyond imagine for that day while their brothers all lived in poverty. And it's hard to see clearly how hated these men were in this kind of situation. See, If you were a Jew, you could do nothing about it. Because tax collectors and Romans could bring a hurt on you that would be hard to describe in in modern day times. So you just went along with it and you just despised the tax collectors for what they did to you. 
Not only are tax collectors Amha Eretz, but they are viewed as the lowest scum of society. So much so that in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it goes as far as to make a distinction between tax collectors and sinners. With the idea that being a sinner is less offensive. You follow? In the Zacchaeus story, we see Jesus intentionally pick the most disgusting and vile person he could find and announce that salvation was available to all, including him, to come to him. The religious of the day had said you had to be ceremonial clean to approach God. Jesus flipped this and claimed the kingdom of God was at hand. The Savior, the Messiah is in front of you. And you can approach God as you are. Come on. Come on. And he made you clean. This was a whirlwind of revolutionary grace. Look who Jesus reached. Blind, lame, deaf, demon-possessed, Samaritans, Gentiles, Romans, paralyzed, any and all who were considered Amha Eretz. And secondly, let's look at the leper from our text today. If tax collectors are the most hated, then lepers are the most reviled. They're just a revolting lot. Lepers were forced out of their homes. Now, I have this skin condition on my hand that I've had now for three years. I don't know what it's like to live a day in Kansas without this condition because it happened before I went there. And it's manageable, but it's there all the time. I don't know. We don't know what caused it. It's been diagnosed three different ways. And we just keep fighting it. I did nothing to bring this on. Now, can you imagine if because of my hand condition I wasn't allowed to be here or anywhere else? That's how the lepers felt. They were forced out of their homes. They were disowned by their families. They were excluded from all forms of society. They were not allowed to work and had to live outside the city, usually with other lepers. They were, think about this now, they were never physically touched and they were cut off from normal human contact. And if they came within 100 feet of anyone, the people were required, if they came within 100 feet of you, you were required to yell, what? Unclean, unclean, unclean. Children would throw rocks at them and adults would spit at them. Think about that. Now I want to read the text again, verses 2 and 3. And with that knowledge I just shared with you, I want to lift the limited visibility of this story. And I want you to hear, listen, for the brokenness of the request. Matthew 8, 2. Right away, a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you are willing, can you make me clean? And reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him. And what do you say? I am willing. Be made clean. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Please see what Jesus did here. He touched this man. He could have easily said, be clean. And the man would have been healed. But Jesus reached out and touched him. This is staggering to the people that saw it. Because you never touch a leper, ever, if you want to stay clean. Now, can you imagine the joy of this guy? Can you imagine him running home to his family, 
to uh, be able to attend temple again, to feel human interaction again? Can you get the off-the-chain joy that just went down here in this text? Look, you don't have to be clean to approach Jesus. Come to him and he will make you clean. Before we were Amha Eretz, you and I very much Amha Eretz. And so now, let's not get so churched, so culturized, or so rules and judgment bent that we miss out on the true grace that is life in Christ. Amha Eretz being touched by the Savior. His body was broken and his blood was shed to redeem us, even the worst of us, the worst of you. Do you really believe this? Do we really want to live this out so we can claim this with authentic purpose? To do anything other is to preach a false gospel. And if you study your scripture, you will see that to stand here, I guess I'm somewhat responsible for y'all. So I'm going to tell you the truth. If you are still wandering around in your Amha Eretz, or if you think that Jesus came to give you some excuse to put a little goodness into your heart, if you still think that Jesus might have come to make bad little boys and girls good little boys and girls, and you've missed it all. Why remain Amha Eretz with your leprosy sin, with your tax collector attitude and wickedness, when you can come and be touched by the Savior once and for all and to live a narrow, risky, full life in Christ? I encourage you to seek him today. I will hang around. I'll introduce him to you. And if you know Jesus, let this be your warning signal. Today's the day to go deeper. Today's the day to make his life count for everything in yours. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, speak to your children now in ways that I can only attempt. Speak to your children, Lord. Love them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Bible Idiots podcast, which features the teaching ministry of Chris Danielson. For further information or to contact us, go to BibleIdiots.com. And in the upper left-hand corner, you'll see an email address. Send your inquiries to that email address as we would love to hear from you. Also, you can check out our new church at fecharlan.org. That's fecharlan.org. I'm Emily Danielson, and like always, so glad you spend some time with us. And remember, Chris and I will always be laughing louder, digging deeper, and living larger in the Lord Jesus Christ.